I just wasn't happy. I was never happy, never fulfilled. You know, I would have that awful Sunday night dread like that you get. Like, I really, like, I don't want to go to school tomorrow, mum. Please don't make me. And it's like, well, you have to because it's not school, it's work. <laughs> you have to pay your bills. And I actually had life coaching like throughout that time because I just felt so lost. And I just felt like, so this is the way I describe it is I was a compass with no north. And I was just like spinning around and just wanting to find something that I could cling on to. And pottery felt like it was it. That was Cara Lee Ford. And you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 176. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me. The podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. I can't wait to introduce you to today's guest and to dig into our conversation that's all about both the realities of being a full-time creative and also the personal choice not to have children, some business stuff, some personal stuff. Kara talks about it with so much honesty. But before we get to that, I would love to quickly read you a recent iTunes review. Today's review is from Hey Brittany, and they say... This podcast has been a favorite of mine for years. 12 out of 10 recommend Nicole and her interviews. Many of these episodes I've listened to more than once. The guests bring unabashed honesty that hits you right where it matters. Smart and intuitive, Nicole asks the questions that others are afraid to. And I'm glad she does because I sure as hell am not brave enough, but I will gleefully listen. (laughs) Thanks, Brittany. And thanks to everyone else who's taken a minute or two to rate or review the show. If you haven't done so yet, maybe you could pause the episode quickly and do that. It really helps to boost our visibility and I would so appreciate it. Thanks so much. And thanks, of course, as well to the 400 plus people in our Patreon community whose contributions of $1 or more per episode are literally what makes this entire show possible. As you've heard me say probably a bunch of times now, this is a 100% listener-supported show. No ads, no sponsors. And that just means that these conversations are financially supported by awesome, regular people just like you. You can join us um, and learn more about all the fun bonuses that you get as a community member over at patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. It's that financial support from you that will help me to keep making three new episodes per month. That's the goal. And it pays everyone involved in creating the show. That's me, as well as my sound engineer, Adam Day, and every single one of my guests. It's been my dream for years to be able to pay all of my guests, as many of you know. And now that our community has met that funding goal that makes that possible, it means that all the guests whose stories and honesty you love are indeed getting paid for the time that they spend with us. And higher rates are always paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. I'd love to have you. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Cara Lee Ford. Cara is a potter, businesswoman, and blogger. She studied fine art at university, specializing in painting, actually, and upon graduating, she got a nine-to-five office job but hated every minute. So to fulfill her creative side, she started taking introductory pottery classes in the evenings after work, and 10 years later, yes, 10 years later, in 2015, she gave up the day job to become a potter full-time. These days, Cara works from her own studio in the garden of her home in Somerset in the UK. She grew up by the coast, though, and her beautiful pottery, which I am proud to own a piece of that I love, I'm totally obsessed with it, it's influenced by the changing moods of the ocean and the colors and textures of her favorite beaches. 
So in this episode, Kara shares really honestly and openly about what it took to become a full-time working artist. We dig into the specifics of money, timelines, sacrifices that she's made, and more. We talk about the pros and cons of turning your passion into your career, the reality of feeling career jealousy from time to time, as well as her four guiding principles that she uses for her business, which have inspired me to create my own. We also dive into more personal topics as well, like Kara's choice not to have children, and she shares a lot of the challenges and emotional struggles that have come up with that choice. I have loved Kara's work for a good while now, and it was such a delightful treat to sit down together in person in her pottery studio for this conversation. I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at realtalkradiopodcast.com. Okay, we are good to go. Cara, welcome to the show. Hi, Nicole. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so, so happy that you're here. Oh my gosh, that I'm sitting in the famous shed, oh, in the yeah. shed of dreams. It's a studio, Nicole, now. Oh, okay, now but we it call is. it. We call it a studio. <laughs> When did it upgrade from being Shed of Dreams to being in a studio? Um, I think when I spent £15,000 on it, I was like, <laughs> do you know what? I'm going to call calling it, start calling it a studio instead of a shed. <laughs> well, it's lovely. Thank and you. I'm very excited to be seated in a place that I have watched and seen on Instagram <laughs> for what feels like a very long time. So, so weird, so. right? <laughs> it, it would. It's so strange to when... I mean, obviously you and I know each other through Instagram, right? And to yeah. be able to be like, oh, okay, now yeah. I'm just going to sit in your studio and we're going to sat opposite me and not like, you know, kind of four inches by four inches on my screen. Yeah. Really weird. No, it's, it's lovely. I'm, I'm super thrilled to be here and your studio is lovely. Oh, thank you. Thank you so, so much. The first thing that I want to ask, this is one of my favorite questions to ask folks. What's one thing this year that you've been wishing that people were more open and honest about? What do you find yourself mm. really curious about? So I guess like, for me, the realities of being a small creative business, like the reality of that is, is freaking hard. And I don't think there's a lot of honesty surrounding it on Instagram. Certainly, um, people share these beautiful pictures and, you know, say, uh, you know, I'm guilty of it myself. Obviously I know that I know that I share like a snapshot and I've got like pots drying in the sun and, or I've got, you know, my cat like rolling around the grass, but also I feel like I try and share a little bit of the grit and a little bit of the hardness of it. Um, as well. And I don't really necessarily think that that is the norm. I think people just say, I'm having a lovely life. I'm having a great time. I love my work every single second. And it's like, really? Really? I don't, I don't believe that. Yeah. I also don't believe that when, pe <laughs> when people say that. And yeah, I think it's refreshing when people are, I think it's re refreshing when people are willing to give a more holistic perspective of everything. Cause the truth is that you love your work, yeah. but anything that you love, you don't love it 100% of the time. It can yeah, still right? be the right choice for you. Yeah. Right. Even when it's hard, I think about that too, about my work that even times where it is really challenging, yeah. I'm still choosing this over other options mm -hmm. and yet it doesn't make the challenges not challenging. Definitely. Absolutely. I mean, it's like a relationship isn't it? Like I love my husband, but some of the times I want to wring his neck. <laughs> Sorry, Thomas, <laughs> but you know, it's true. And it's the same with my business. And I think when I do see that 
um, honesty and that kind of like, you know, um, when people talk about money, for instance, it's just so refreshing. It's just like, you know, I've been doing this for five years now and I've only just got to the point where I'm earning, well, I'm not even earning, I'm turning over the same money as I earned when I worked in a full-time job. Mm -hmm. So that's taken me five years to do that. And that's a long fucking time when, you know, I'm working as hard as I am. So, and and also the the amount of time and effort and energy that has to go into, uh, you know, making something for a living, it is exhausting, like physically, mentally, I don't have enough hours in the day and I don't have enough hands and I don't have enough space. Um, and yeah, and I, I hope I kind of, you know, put that across, but at the same time, I also realized that people come to me for a little bit of escapism. Like they see my pottery and they just want a little bit of that life for themselves. And by buying a mug from me or by coming on my Instagram, they get that. So I also want like want to keep that balance as well because that's what I'm offering people is like, you know, you can be mindful about your morning cup of coffee or, you know, your lunch, eating it off a beautiful plate. So I have to kind of like weigh it up. And I don't want to show like all the like really ugly cry moments because obviously <laughs> that would kind of harm my brand as well. So, you know, it's a balancing act, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any right answers to this kind of stuff, but trying to figure out for you where your boundaries are, what feels good to share and not. And also, like you said, being aware of what it is that people want, right? Yeah. If they want that kind of beautiful pictures, escapism, you know, high quality craft, all of that. Okay. That's important. But how do you share, you know, inject enough honesty so that it doesn't become something that people feel, Oh, why is her life so perfect? You know, and it's like being able to just like inject some humanity into uh, things that are otherwise quite picture perfect. Definitely. And from the perspective of, um, you know, I don't want this whole conversation to be all around Instagram, but it, it is like, you know, a lot of my customers are on Instagram, but then a lot of my followers are my peers. So a lot of them are other potters. So they're hobby potters or they're professional potters, but we're all in it together, if you like. And I don't want them to feel bad. I don't want them to feel bad about their processes or their business because I'm just showing all the great stuff. Um, so I'm really mindful of that because the comparison, you know, is a horrible monster. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm not just talking to them. I'm talking to my customers Mm -hmm. as well. So yeah, like there isn't a right way of doing it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I haven't worked out for myself yet. Yeah. I think about this a lot too, of kind of what we owe each other. Mm. And I don't mean that in a transactional way, but a lot of the honesty that I, you know, you mentioned money before, a lot of the honesty that I feel like I'm looking for is just kind of the mundane stuff. Like Mm. I'm interested in how people, if they're in a partnership, how they talk to their partners about money. You know, when you said, you know, 15,000 pounds to build this studio, like even that I'm interested in almost like honesty with emotional neutrality. Everything doesn't have to be so fraught. I'm interested in people just talking about what it took. Like Mm -hmm. I thought about that a lot of this, you know, six week trip that I'm on to the UK. And I talked about it a little bit on Instagram of, okay, this came from savings. This came from here. I'm working this amount while I'm here. And it's not that I feel like I need to justify taking a trip because it's also totally fine if that's what I want to do. But I do think that it is helpful. I think about this with long distance hiking too, for people to just talk about how they made something happen, right? That it's okay. This is costing me X amount that money. Cause there's only so many places that money can come from, right? That it's, it's coming from your savings. It's coming from like an inheritance family wealth. It's Mm -hmm. coming from a credit card. It's coming from your partner. That's 
kind of it, right? Like there aren't there, like money has to come from somewhere. Yeah. And so I'm yeah. just always grateful when people are willing to be like, here's how I made this happen, whatever yeah. this is. Right. And even for you to say it's been five years and okay, now you're turning over the amount of money that you were when you left your job. Like five years is a long time. Yeah. It's a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I try, so I, I blog as well a lot about my processes and, um, I wrote a blog post about my studio, how we built it, kind of the learnings that we we took from that. Um, and I, I really broke down my budget for, um, the studio as well to show people like, this is how much it cost us. Um, and the money that, so I borrowed 5,000 on a credit card, interest-free credit card, um, like a transfer for 36 months. So I'm paying that off. Then 5,000 came from savings. And then 5,000 was like, you know, little bits here and there that I paid as we went along that, you know, I was able to do sustainably through my business. And also, you know, I worked with a, f- a couple of brands. I, I asked Scott if they wouldn't mind giving me a wheel and they did, which is nice. So, you know, that's how I paid for a wheel is because I did work for them, which if you want to buy a wheel, it's like two, 2000 pounds. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really great to be transparent about these things. Cause some people just are like, how the hell has, have they done that? How the hell have they done that? And it's just like, well, you know, you have to kind of work it. You have to get a bit from here, get a bit from there. It's not like, you know, I didn't just have 15 grand sat in my bank account. Yeah. I I mean, and if you did, there's nothing wrong with that. No, exactly. Yeah. It's like what I'm looking for. That was, you know, when I first started the podcast and choosing to go a listener funded model instead, you know, I played with advertising a little bit, but only for a couple of seasons and choosing not to do that was an option for me because I was at the time in like a marriage where I didn't have to have this be super profitable right away. And in a different set of circumstances, that wouldn't have been the case. And it was always really important to me. I mean, I probably talked about it too much, but it was always really important to me to talk about that because I think it's really easy, you know, for someone else who might want to start a podcast to look at it and be like, how was she able to do it this way? I'm like, well, I was able to do it that way because you know, the success of the podcast didn't determine whether or not we could eat food that week. Uh Right. And I would have made very different decisions if that were the case. And it's not that my way was better or right, or another way is wrong, but, and I've, you know, money has come from lots of different places in my life. Pretty much every single thing we mentioned other than inheritance, right? Like I have had money come from all those places. (laughs) And so it's, yeah, just like the honesty around that I feel like is for me personally, I'm comforted by other people's honesty. Even let's say the truth was you were like, I have all of this family wealth. This 15,000 pounds was just sitting in my bank account. I just like, if that was the truth. Yeah. Okay. Great. Like it's so much easier for me to be like, okay, that's not my situation next. Yeah. But yeah, that it's, and there's just something very comforting to me about people being willing to name what's true. Exactly. It's just like putting it into a box, isn't it? It's just like, okay, yep. I see that fits there and that's fine because that's not going to work for me, but then something else will. Right. But uh, and it, it it sort of lets you off the hook of feeling like there's something wrong with you that yeah. you can't figure out like the secret yeah. to the puzzle that what, what does she know that I don't, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, maybe nothing, you know? Um, yeah. so I'm, we're definitely going to dig into money later in this conversation. Cause it's, I think an Im- important part of being a small creative cool. business owner, yep. but I'd love to go back in time a little bit and hear the story of how you became a potter. Mm. How did this become something that was of interest to you? And yeah. I'm asking this for me personally, cause I, I mean, I have no experience with pottery. I've never, <laughs> my only experience is basically the beautiful travel mug that I bought oh, from you that I love. And yay. so I have very, very newbie beginner questions. How did this become a thing in your life? Okay. So it is a, it's a bit of a long story. Um, so I have always been creative, like from when I was little, like that's, that's basically the only thing I can say that I was good at. Like when I was a child, like was drawing, painting, making things. It's the 
when I felt most comfortable was creating. And um, so it's always been like in me that I was just like, I just want to be an artist. That's what I want to be. Um, so went to, did like A-levels, which is like kind of college in um, the in the UK. Um, and then I went to art college and did a year, which is like a national diploma, which is where you do all disciplines and you kind of like try everything and like try out printmaking, try out photography, try out painting, life drawing, literally everything. But I never actually got to try pottery. I didn't do it. It clashed with something else, it clashed with life drawing, I think. And I was always like thinking like, no, I'm, I'm, I draw, that's what I do. I paint. I, you know, I might sculpt a little bit, but I don't really want to go into clay because I knew it was such a vast area that I just, just like, do you know what, I'm just going to concentrate on this for now. Um, then I went to university and did fine art. So specialize in painting. Um, I actually did theater as well at uni, which not many people know. <laughs> I don't really talk about that very much. Um, but I loved it. Like freaking absolutely love, um, you know, proper theater, like drama, uh, on stage drama. Um, but I did fine art at uni. So painting, photography, printmaking, all those sides of things, again, didn't touch clay at all. Um, so it wasn't until that I graduated after uni, came out, had, you know, all this debt, needed a job, needed to pay rent. And I was just like, oh, just got to get a job. So got an office job. The first office job that I got offered basically, which was paid me 12,000 pounds a year. <laughs> sure. That's enough. Yeah. yeah that's, yeah. that's loads to live on in Bath. Not, um, and yeah, just kind of just had to do it. You know, you have to, you have to live. And I didn't want to move back home with my parents after university. I wanted to stay in Bath. Um, and I realized that, oh my gosh, I need to do something creative, like with my time as well as this office job. So I started evening classes and I just went to our local college. Um, they ran pottery evening classes on a Tuesday and a Thursday. And I was like, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to try pottery just like, you know, I've always wanted to try it. I've never had, you know, I've never really like pushed myself to go, right. Okay, let's, let's do it. And the first time I touched clay, I was like, oh my gosh, where has this been all my life? I literally fell in love with it. If you can fall in love with mud, <laughs> if that's even possible, I did that day. And I still remember that feeling of like, oh, I wish I'd done this before. I wish I'd like, you know, made myself try pottery at art college. Um, yeah. And I just, it just went from there really. I just got home and it just energized me so much. I was just like, this is what I want to do. This is, this is it. This is what I want to do. It didn't know anything. You know, I, I knew nothing. I wasn't like, I, I had no experience of pottery at all. I had experience of creating and, you know, making things and making paintings and drawings, but not physical 3D mugs or, I don't know, plates. I, d I didn't have a clue. Um, but I was really encouraged by the tutor there. She was really, really great. And she, the, the first few things that I made, she was really supportive. And she actually said to me, are you sure you haven't done this before? You've got a real affinity with clay. And that was like, for someone to say that to you when you've never done it before was like, that was magic. That was like, oh my God, really? You think I'm good? And she was like, yeah, you could like totally do this. And so that has stuck with me as well. The fact that she thought, that I had like a, a natural kind of, I don't know what it is. Maybe she was just being nice. Maybe she just said that to everyone. 
but even still, right. The power of encouragement and especially encouragement from someone who is, you know, better at the thing than you or that you see in kind of not necessarily a position of power, but maybe right. That you trust their judgment and that idea of, I feel like when we need encouragement the most, sometimes it's when we know the least, it's really hard to be a beginner at something so hard. And so being able to have someone reinforce, you are good at this. And I I would reckon she wasn't lying, you know, but even if that was a thing that she said to everyone, yeah, yeah, you do keep that with you. And if it is something that you love feeling like, okay, I'm good at this can be helpful. Yeah. It was, it was really amazing that she was that generous and, you know, she was making a living. She was, she was an artist and she was teaching. And so for her to say that to me, like you say, it was really powerful. Um, so then I just kept plugging away and I would go to my evening classes and then I would do the odd weekend course. Cause that would, you know, you, you tend to learn more when you're kind of immersed in something for a long period of time and with other people as well, who really, really want to learn. Um, so evening classes were great, but they weren't necessarily, um, amazing at teaching the detail of pottery and ceramics. You know, there was doctors there and there was people that just wanted to go and just have like a mindful few hours there wasn't it wasn't really like a intensive learning um environment so then I bought my own wheel secondhand wheel um which we had in our dining room initially (laughs) we lived in a, a slightly different house which had a dining room and that was just my pottery studio like there was no table it was it was a wheel And there was clay splattered all up the walls. And I just practiced. I practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. Still doing my day job, still working nine to five. Um, At that point, you know, I'd kind of worked my way up. So originally I worked in customer services um, for a shoe company. And then I worked in their marketing department. And I actually worked my way up to be brand manager of the shoe company um, over 10 years I worked there. And at the same time, I was just doing pottery in my spare time. But I was formulating a plan in my head, an escape plan. And that was pottery was it for me. Okay. So in that 10 years, when did you start taking that evening class? um, Right at the beginning. Okay. So So this was a 10 year period uh of working full time and doing this in the evenings on the weekends. Yep. So this, I think it was the same week that I started my job. I started pottery classes. Wow. Yeah. Which is crazy. And then 10 years passed and I was just like, where the frick has my life gone? (laughs) And you know, at at the beginning, I knew that I wasn't like, I couldn't even imagine making a living from it just because there was so much to learn. And I was totally beginner. Um, so I, it wasn't even on the, on the, my radar to like make a living from that. I just had to do my job, get out of there at five and then go home and do my pottery and do fun stuff with my husband just to survive. But I really didn't thrive in that environment. You know, I was, I was really like not in a great place. I'd say like looking back now, like is a really, um, powerful thing. Like I can really see that I just wasn't happy. I was never happy, never fulfilled. You know, I would have that awful Sunday night dread like that you get, like, I really like, I don't want to go to school tomorrow, mum. please don't make me. And it's like, well, you have to, because it's not school, it's work. (laughs) You have to pay your bills. And I actually had life coaching like throughout that time because I just felt so lost. And I just felt like, so this is the way I describe it is I was a compass with no North and I was just like spinning around and just wanting to find something that I could cling on to. And pottery felt like it was it, but it didn't feel like it was going to be the thing. It didn't feel like it was going to be able to be my full-time career at that point. So hence life coaching. My life coach, however, 
she knew. She said, Cara, why don't you just become a potter? And I was like, don't be ridiculous. People can't earn money making pottery. That's just crazy. And she was like, okay. You know, she didn't push it because she, she could see I wasn't ready um, mentally and, you know, kind of in my skill level as well, I think. But yeah, uh, and I had, I had spent about, you know, a thousand pounds on life, on a life coach. Cause I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. This is horrendous. Like I hate my job. I feel so like, you know, why did I spend all this amazing time at university doing the thing I loved to end up doing this? And I just, I just felt that sick feeling every day that I was there every single day. And even though towards the, like the end of my um, tenure as brand manager, I got to to go on lots of amazing trips. Like I was um, actually in charge of all their lifestyle photography. So they produced a catalog and the website. And I used to go on all of the trips that we went to Norway, we went to Morocco, we went to France, we went to Spain, we went to loads of amazing places, which was so, you know, I'm really privileged to be able to have done that. And I, I am grateful and I wouldn't have ever been able to afford to go to like those places if I didn't just go there with work. But even so that wasn't enough. That didn't, still didn't fulfill me. It still didn't make me feel like this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And to anyone else, like I realized that that probably sounds like an amazing job and I get that. And it, probably is for someone else, but just not me. It just, I mean, something doesn't have to be terrible in order to not be the right fit for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, there's so much in there that you just <laughs> said that I think is, is really worth underscoring. The first thing that comes to mind for me is just the time frame. Similarly to when we were talking about the honesty around money, I love honesty around time, mm-hmm. not to say that something has to take 10 years, right? I think there's yeah. people that find a thing and quit their job and do yeah, it or great. whatever. That's fine. But 10 years is a not insignificant amount of time, Mm -hmm. right? And to think about, again, sort of the comparison or the false beliefs, I think it would be very easy for someone to, let's say, come to your Instagram today, right? Like you have this lovely big community who are really supportive and you do this beautiful work and Mm -hmm. you've clearly gone through levels of, uh, you know, up-leveling your skills and your craft and all of that over the last five years, the last maybe 15 years, right? We're looking at the full time thing, but to then realize like this was something that like 10 years is just so long Mm. to be, I mean, to be learning something in a good way that this idea that things take time. Mm -hmm. And I think I get really impatient sometimes, Yeah, you know, why aren't I better at this yet? Why didn't I figure this out 10 years ago? Why didn't I, you know, I think about that sometimes, even just from a hobby perspective about long distance hiking and spending time outside. (laughs) That's not who I, how I grew up at all. Yeah, You know, I didn't go camping until I, you know, 2016 until I was in my thirties already. And so for me, I'm like, man, if I would have known when I was 18 (laughs) and okay, it takes what it takes, Yep, Mm -hmm. you know? And so for it to hear you talk about this thing that you had never done once in your life. That's mm-hmm. now your career. Yeah. But again, it di- I know this sounds like really cliche. It didn't happen overnight. No, absolutely not. Re- totally. And I actually think that pottery is a, is such a good metaphor for this because it is an eternal learning process. I will never master this craft. I could, I will throw and Thomas will probably find me like dead over my wheel <laughs> when I'm 90 because I don't plan on retiring. I'm going to do this forever because I love it that much, but I will never know everything. And I, I'm excited by that. I'm excited by the fact that it's never ending. This learning process for me is my career. I love learning. I love discovering new things and I love that I'm never going to get to the end of it. 
And that's amazing. That is amazing for me. And I actually think that to kind of reframe things in that way, like enjoy the learning, like enjoy being a beginner, enjoy the discovery, like go back to being a child again and like remember how amazing it is when you first do something and just discover how awesome it is to be able to succeed at it. And pottery is like that. Like you can always get better at it. And I, I love that aspect of it for me. That's, that, that's great. Yeah. I've been thinking about how much I have tended to undervalue curiosity mm, that yeah. just, it feels really good to be curious about something. So, so right? great. Like, why, yeah. why does this happen when I do it this way? What mm. if I did this? What does she do? How can I learn this? Right? Like there's something about, and I'm hearing that and what you're saying too, yeah. about being curious about this art form, right? That you can, as good as you are, there's always other things totally. to learn and to work on. And if that continues to excite you, yeah. that's, I mean, yeah. sounds like the best gift, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it is amazing. And for me to not, so, so I've always felt like that about it. I've always felt like, oh, um, you know, I can't, I never thought to myself, I, I can't sell my work until this point. Like, like I've got to learn this thing before I'm able to charge this for it. I've never really thought that. Um, on some levels, some levels I have, but then on other levels, I've just been like, no, do you know what? My work is going to continue to evolve. It's going to continue to get better. And that doesn't mean that my work right now isn't of value because it is, but I know that in five years time, it's going to be even better. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that progression and that evolution. And I've always given myself that permission. I think that that's always, maybe that's why I feel like pottery is my true North because I've given myself that permission to feel like that. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm interested in the decision-making process to move it from a hobby to a business, right? Because if Mm. you were happy doing it as a hobby and you love learning, was there a particular day or maybe conversation with your husband or just like, was there a point where you were like, okay, I think this is going to transition. So there was a few things that happened all in the space of about a year, 18 months, um, which really pushed me to, to take it from, uh, you know, hobby level to full time. So the first thing was I was really unhappy with my job, like at a level where things were changing within the company and I, it was pushing me even further into that kind of zone of this is so not me. This is so not what I want to do. Um, another thing, um, was a friend of ours, a mutual friend, um, Thomas's best friend, actually, uh, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor at the age of 32 and actually no he was 30 so he's 32 when he passed away um and that was a massive kick in the crotch for all of us like our whole group of friends you know we're really really tight as a group of friends my my husband's in a band um called centerfolds if you want to look <laughs> and um he uh so Alex was the bass player of the band and that was our social scene so when the band gigged all the wags the wives and girlfriends we would go along and support them and that was our social scene in our 20s that's what we did like that was our and they were our family you know we all lived within like six mile radius of each other we spent every weekend together we would travel to London we go down to the southwest where they'd be gigging and um it was an incredible time and then Alex got diagnosed with a brain tumor and we were all just like what the actual fuck that can't happen like that, that can't happen to a 30 year old healthy person. And it made us all reevaluate, like, what are we doing? Like, what, what am I doing with my life? And Alex was always so supportive of my pottery. And he was kind of, he always said to me, car, 
just fucking do it. Why aren't you doing it? Like get a grip and do it. And that's, he always said that even before he got ill. And, um, so that was a thing which, you know, those life events, which, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a phrase for it where it's kind of like a a traumatic thing happens and you reevaluate your life. Um, so that was awful and sad and horrendous, but made me feel like, okay, Alex didn't get the chance to make the most of his life. I, I have that chance and I'm going to do it. I'm going to grab it with both hands. So then a a kind of weird aside at the same time, there was a a show in the UK called the great pottery throwdown. I don't know if you heard of it. I've only heard of it through you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So the great pottery throwdown is a bit, is, is bake off. So you guys have heard of bake off, right? I've watched every episode of the great British bake off. Okay. So the great pottery throwdown is the bake off's poor younger sister. (laughs) It's made by the same production company. Um, and they were advertising for potters. So this was back in 2014 and, um, advertising for hobby potters to come and be on the show. And Bake Off wasn't a big thing back then. It's only become like huge in the last like five years, I'd say. Um, and so they were kind of like, it was, it was on BBC two, I think at the time, which is kind of like a lesser known channel. Um, and they were advertising for potters, for hobby potters, come on the show, you know, come to London, um, be on the great pottery throwdown. And, um, Alex was the one who actually said, car, go for it. You know, what have you got to lose? So I was like, do you know what? I'm going to fucking do it. So I, I filled in the application form, like never thought in a million years, I wanted to be on a TV show. That wasn't, that wasn't the thing. I just wanted to like, to do pottery just wanted to be in pottery somehow and if that show meant that I could do that then that was that was great that was that was my escape route um so filled in the application form sent off a few um photos of myself and my work and you know I I sent a really good photo of myself where I was just like yeah I look hot in that picture (laughs) like I'm gonna give myself the credit I look hot it like false eyelashes on the fake tan so I I was like yeah okay I'm gonna send that picture um obviously to be a potter does not <laughs> it's like they obviously didn't know anything about pottery they just saw that and were just like okay yeah she'll probably be quite good on tv maybe <laughs> um so to my utter surprise the production company rang me the next day I'm like we'd like you to come up to London we, we want you to come and audition so I was like okay cool so went up to London this is Saturday went up on the, on the train, took, took a whole load of pots with me and I met the judges and I met the, um, the two, like they, they were interviewing for interviewing. They were auditioning for presenters at the same time as well. So all the, um, like the applicants and the presenters were all in the same room at the same time. It was a bit weird. I was like, Oh, I'm sure I know him. I'm sure he's like a famous potter. And he was, uh, Keith Brimer Jones. I was like, Oh yeah, now I know. Um, and went through the audition process and got through and then was invited back again and then got through the next stage and then went back for a screen test and for an actual kind of like full day's filming where basically you were in the studio and it was basically like they were filming like a mock show um and they I, they had to we had to make like six cylinders and they all had to be the same size and the same height and exactly the same weight um, and you had to throw them in like six minutes. And I and I was just like, oh my gosh. And there's a camera in your face. So you have to throw stuff 
and there's a camera like six inches away from your face and then they have to ask you questions and you have to answer them in a very specific way which is like that whole uh, bake-off way which is you have to put the question in your answer does that make sense Mm -hmm. well needless to say I couldn't do it (laughs) I was terrible and I just froze up I was just like I I just couldn't do all the things at the same time so I was just like I went home and I, cr- I think I cried on the way home on the train I was just like oh no this isn't what I wanted this isn't for me I don't want to do this um I didn't get through <laughs> to be on the show but I was kind of glad about that in a way I was like yeah I just wouldn't have been able to cope with the camera and the questioning and also people scrutinizing your work and if I was truthful with myself I wasn't ready at that point like my work wasn't good enough but the fact that I was I got to that point and I was in a room full of other potters and um when I was chatting to them in the audition process you know you got you all had to wait around for a lot a lot in the um filming and stuff we were all just chatting and I'd be like so what do you do for a living And they'd look at me like, well, I'm a potter. And I was like, what? No way. And they were like, yeah. (laughs) What do you do? And I was like, I'm a visual merchandiser. I work in marketing. (laughs) And they they would like look at me like, why are you here then? And everyone I asked was making a living on some level from their pottery. So whether they were teaching it, whether they were... um, they, there was a lady there who ran a paint your own pot shop. Um, there was a guy there who was um, like an artist in residence at a school. There was another lady there who taught, taught um, private lessons. There was someone else there who did craft shows. And it blew my mind that it was possible to make a living from pottery because I didn't really think that that was a thing. I just thought, yeah, you're a potter and you kind of you do it as a hobby or maybe there are like some like art like proper art like artists in inverted commas who make a living but you can't really make a living from pottery yeah I think this goes back to what you were saying before when you were working with that life coach who said hey why don't you try this and uh-huh. you know you basically kind of like laughed in their face is yeah. what it sounds like <laughs> and the thing that that popped into my head is really the value of like seeking out something that disproves whatever your own like bullshit story is yeah. right like if your story is people can't make a living doing that I think this comes up in athletic stuff too you know runners don't look like this or in order to be a real fill in the blank right yeah. I have to meet uh-huh. whatever this set of criteria yep. is and obviously you know in order to be a potter yes you have to do the thing you have to work with the clay and throw the pots and do all the things that I yep. only know about because of you. But I think there is something to be said for forcing yourself and social media can be great for this mm. to find, you know, if I say it's true that no one can do whatever the thing is. And it's, then I, yep. I challenge myself to find three people for whom that's not the case, you know, you then just, all of a yep. sudden that story isn't true anymore. It doesn't mean you get over it overnight, but I definitely see how that could be a really impactful experience. If you just told yourself that nobody makes a living doing this yep. and then you spent all all of this time going through auditions with people who make a living in some capacity doing it in lots of different ways. It doesn't, yeah. it's like not everyone gets from point A to point B along the same path, Yeah. but even that to be able to realize, oh, okay. You know, if I say, you know, using the running example, this has come up a lot this summer at, um, 
some of the retreats and stuff that I've hosted people, you know, I want to do this, but I, you know, people like me don't do this, whatever that is. Okay. Well, like go mm-hmm. on Instagram and find three people who, yeah. d- and it's relatively easy to yeah. disprove those stories, you know, Definitely. for yourself. And I can see how that would be a huge pivotal turning point. It really was. It was really amazing. And the fact that they kind of, <laughs> I know if anyone can hear it is started a nice end of summer down. downpour. I can't, I don't know that it will pick up, but it's lovely to look out the windows at this like drenching rain that's Welcome happening. Welcome to monsoon season in the UK, yeah. Nicole. Yeah, it's good. It's lovely. I like it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that, it really was a a real turning point for me, like to be able to meet real life people making like, they weren't, you know, they weren't like uh, rolling in money, but they were okay. They had families, they had houses and cars, (laughs) they could feel, feed themselves. And that was like amazing. And and this was actually pre Instagram at this point. So I wasn't in Instagram yet. And uh, Facebook was a thing, but it wasn't like a, you know, I wasn't using it in that way. And I didn't think to Google, <laughs> can people make a living from pottery? Um, so yeah, so, so to meet real people in real lives, that was incredible. And for them to be really supportive in return to me as well, saying like, Kari, you know, you got through to this stage. Like if you weren't okay at this, you wouldn't have got to this stage. Like hundreds of people have applied and your pottery, it it's good enough that you could, you could do this. And that was just insane for me. That was like, whoa. Even that phrasing that you just used, that it's good enough, I think is really powerful. Yeah. You know, that this idea that, you know, I can't do this until I'm some level of perfect. Uh And I think sometimes that's fear. I think sometimes, Mm, you know, that comes from lots of different things. Totally. There is something very empowering about being like, this is good enough to move to the next level. You know, if the next level is charging for it or the next level, you know, whatever that is, being very real about what good enough looks like for you, that's huge. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 100% agree with that. Yeah. So then came home, chatted to my husband and was just like, okay, I didn't get on the show, but I feel like so empowered by this experience, like that I, I really want to think about doing this full time. Like, how can we make that happen? And he was so supportive. He was literally like, let's do this. Let's make this happen for you. I believe in you. I want you to be, to be happy because he saw how unhappy I was at work. Mm -hmm. You know, he saw that I wasn't fulfilled. Um, and yeah. So we sat down, we did a lot of budget spreadsheets, a lot of Excel and planned whether we could afford for me to give up work and do it full time. So I had some savings from my job. So I had about 10,000 pounds in savings. Um, so that could tide me over for a little while while I was kind of, you know, building a brand, building, um, up stock, uh, cause pottery is a long process. You know, it takes a while to actually make stuff. So it wasn't as if I could just buy in stock and then sell it the next day. I had to like m- actually make it and photograph it and write about it and find my kind of aesthetic niche as well. Cause I didn't really know what that was at that stage either. Um, so we did a lot of planning and then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. And I gave myself, I think it was, six months. And I, from the point where I made that decision, I lasted three months in my job. Cause I was just like, no, I can't do this anymore. I'm gone. I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it. And then Alex passed away really tragically. And I think it was that, that winter that I handed in my notice. I was just like, no, nope, life's too short. I can't, I, I can't waste my life doing something that I don't love because people don't get the opportunity to you know, to do that. And I knew it was going to be hard, but to stay where I was, was harder. 
like the fear of of making that leap became less than the fear of staying where I was so Mm -hmm. I was just like you know what I'm gonna do it yeah I think about that all the time with big Mm. changes in my life it's always Mm -hmm. at the point where you know the pain of not doing the thing outweighs the fear of the thing. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I have found that I cannot rush that process. No, you're not ready until you're ready. Right. This wasn't a, you took one pottery class and quit your job, (laughs) you know, like this had been a long time coming. And I think that I'm grateful that you're telling, you know, at least the full arc of the story. I'm sure there's a lot more details in there. Mm, You know, if you're talking about like a 10 plus year period of your life, there's of course other things, but you know, you're not ready until you're ready. And even then you're not what does ready even mean? Right. There's not like, it's, I don't think I would assume that you weren't like, okay, everything's going to be amazing. This is absolutely the right time. (laughs) Like there's always fear and we do it anyway. But I do think this is sort of my issue with the, like just leap and the net will appear. I think that's Mm -hmm. true in, in a tiny respect in that, of course, there's nothing that has been important to me that I've done in my life that I haven't been fearful Mm. most of the time. Yeah. Okay. But there is, you can get ready enough. Yeah right? There is a, okay, I need to have this much in savings. I need to have these people in my life on board. I need to have accrued these skills. And I think that sometimes in that whole follow your passion conversation, Mm. a lot of the practicality and the logistics get left out. out. And yeah, there's no perfect time. You will hit a point of it's good enough to move forward like we were talking about. But I do think for me, it's been really helpful to be honest about what are those benchmarks? How much money do I need to have saved in order to do, you know, whatever, you know, who needs to support it? What needs to happen next? And just like here, what that process was like for you is helpful. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there was, there was a lot of other little things that kind of all pointed me in this direction. Um, so for instance, you know, when I spoke to my friends and family about this, I expected them to say, Cara, what are you thinking? You crazy cat, like don't give up a perfectly good job that pays you a good wage to go and do something that you have no idea whether it's going to work. I expected them to say that, but you know what? They didn't everyone I spoke to was supportive everyone my parents who are very very working class very traditional like no you you get a job that's what you do you work and it's not great it's not fun but that's what you do because you have responsibilities you have to pay the rent you have to live um but they were supportive they were like Cara if this was if this is what you want do it and that blew my mind as well I was like oh my god i totally underestimated everyone around me because they've all been so supportive and so amazing at offering me that support when I needed it and when I when I asked for it and I remember the I remember having conversations with each of my best friends who I've been really friends good friends with for at school um and every single one of them were like car we know you can do this we're behind you do it and that's that's powerful as well like to have that support from the people you love is just like amazing and the 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 thing that kept going around in my head was what's the worst that can happen is that it doesn't work and then I just have to find another job that's the worst that can happen how bad is that that's not that bad really is it yeah in comparison to other things in, in life that's not that bad Yeah. I do think there can be kind of a scarcity mindset fear of if I let go of this job, there's Mm, never going to be another job, Uh right? Or if I'm not with this partner anymore, there's never going to be another. And that's pretty much never true. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it's a bit of a trap that you make for yourself, like, you know, getting comfortable and, you know, you have a pension paid in and you have healthcare and you're with your work and you have this and you have that and you have paid holidays. And it's all a bit of a trap that you kind of like put in your head that, Oh, but when I, if I do this, then I'm not going to have that. Or if I do this, I'm not going to have that. And it's like, do you know what? I've never 
thought about not having paid holiday once <laughs> since I since I quit my job. I've never thought about um, the fact that I don't have healthcare. I've never thought that. We, luckily enough, we're in the UK, so we have the NHS, which is amazing. Um, so that I'm very, very privileged in that respect. But it's all a bit of a trap that you kind of like you make for yourself and none of those things even matter. What matters is that you give yourself the chance. Yeah. I'm interested to hear a little bit of what you have found the pros and cons of turning your passion into your career can be. Cause there's some things that I love mm. that I think if I were to turn them into a business, I would hate them or yeah. I would resent them or I would take the joy out of it for me. Yeah. And so I'm interested in maybe like expectation versus reality for you. Like how have you found that over the last five years? Yeah. I mean, that's a really, really interesting point. And that was one of my biggest fears actually is that I would turn something that I loved into something that I hated though you know I'd feel how I felt about my old job um luckily that hasn't happened so I'm I'm really glad to say that I still love pottery as much as I I did when I first started um but yeah expectation um I never thought that I would work this much I worked harder in the last five years than I've worked in my entire life. And, you know, my job that I did before was quite high pressured in, you know, relatively, but I've worked so hard. Like I'm never not working. And that is something that I didn't expect when I quit my, you know, nine to five. I thought, oh, you know, I'll have, I'll just work like maybe from 10 a.m. to four because, you know, when you work on your own, you're more productive. Yeah, bullshit. I work all the time. I work from probably, so being honest, I'm not a morning person. I don't get up early. <laughs> so I start work at, you know, probably at half nine, 10. Um, but then I'll work through till seven and I'll work Saturday and Sunday as well. And I, we don't, I don't take time off. Like I don't kind of, it's very difficult for me at the moment to take holiday as it, as you like because pottery is such an intensive process that any time out of that process means that sets me back and I'm working on that I'm working on that uh, professionally in my business and I'm working on that personally because I find it very very difficult to switch off because when you love something it's really hard to leave it alone to like and, and when it's in your house so my studio is at the bottom of my garden it's really hard not to, oh, I'm just going to go and pop out and check my kiln or I'm just going to pop out and do this. Three hours later, mm -hmm. you know, I get sucked into something. And and I know that that is um, something that I need to work on. And obviously to continue to have a good relationship with my husband. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my next question. Of, yeah. You know, because even as you're talking about that level of work, which again, I appreciate the honesty around, especially because it doesn't seem like you're saying it from a perspective of really glorifying being mm -hmm. busy or mm -hmm. over glorifying the hustle. I think there's some people that do that. I've yeah. been guilty of that over different periods of time of it's kind of like a marker of self-worth. Look at me, look how yeah. hard I work, right? Or yeah, look, yeah, at, yeah. look at what it takes to make this dream come true. And also it does take a lot of hard work, yeah. but I would reckon that there will become a point where that's not sustainable Definitely. for you. I mean, also in doing, this is a physical mm -hmm. craft, yeah. right? Yeah. So I would assume like physical body rest is necessary. And then also you don't live alone, yeah. right? You have a partner. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, will you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, pottery is very physical and I am have had like physical injuries from, um, you know, I've just been throwing for far too long for, for, um, you know, 
sat on my wheel for um, over a certain amount of time. And I, I just, it kills your back. It kills your wrists, kills your hands. And if I want to sustain this, if I want to do this forever, if I want to, if you want to uh, die on the wheel at 90, exactly. sure. Yeah. <laughs> if I want to not retire, then I have to look after my body. I have to make sure that I'm going to be able to still throw when I'm 65 and not give myself arthritis now. Um, yeah. So I have had to work on that. And also, you know, it, it does impact on relationships. And Thompson and I have had um, conversations where he's just like, are you, are you going to come in for dinner? Are you, are you going to stop working at all today? And I'm just like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to finish this last thing. And I know that that's not fair. That's really not fair. And, and he wants to have a weekend with his wife, you know, he wants to do stuff. And that's one of the reasons why we decided to do our walking was um, because it took me away from studio it took me far away <laughs> so I can't check stuff um and yeah so I've I've kind of given myself things to aim for so I now limit myself to 15 hours contact time I call it contact time where I'm actually physically making something 15 hours a week um because over that you will start getting injuries and you'll, you know, you get repetitive strain injuries, you'll pull something in your back, you'll get, um, you know, a bad neck, bad posture. I've already got really bad posture. So, um, I don't need any help with that. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what I'm, I am working on and trying to balance that time. Yeah. Which makes me want to ask you one of the first things that I saw when I walked into your studio, you have a list of four guiding principles up uh-huh. on the wall. Will you kind of talk through each of those? Yeah. I yes. know you just mentioned one of them. Yes. So I'm just going to have to turn my head to look at it because I can't remember. <laughs> what they are. Okay. Yeah. So when I was talking about holidays, the first one, um, first one of my guiding principles is that adventures are the goal. They're not an inconvenience because when you work for yourself, taking holiday is hard when you step I find it difficult to step away from my business and actually the reason why I do this if it, you know you strip everything away is to go on holiday is to have adventures is to see the world that's why I that's why I want to make a make a living that's that is my purpose for being is to explore and to go visit amazing places and I need to remember that and I need to make time for that and make sure that my business is facilitating that, not forgetting about that. So that is my core guiding principle is that adventures are the goal. They're not an inconvenience. And I need my business to facilitate enabling that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I've heard you talk and write about the idea of freedom mm-hmm. and that being a central guiding thing for you. And I think yeah. it really is interesting how sometimes the core why of something or why we get into something can get lost. Yes. Right. And I think sometimes with self-employment, I'm sure everyone who goes into that for themselves has some idea of freedom. You know, I want to do this because I have more control of my time or because there isn't a limit on my earning potential or, you know, structure your hours differently or whatever those reasons are. And sort of, as you've talked about, sometimes the exact opposite winds up happening, Yeah, you know? And I think that being able to touch back into why, like, sure, you love pottery, but why you wanted to work for yourself to begin with. And if it's to have that freedom and to be able to have more adventures, okay, well then I actually have to do those things. (laughs) And and sort of the idea I have found that those things aren't going to happen by accident, No, you know, and to look at, you know, one of the other questions that I was going to ask you, and this is totally a selfish question that, you know, because you're your own boss, obviously like I am. And I've been thinking a lot lately of like, do you think you're a good boss? Right. And what that looks like. Oh my God. And this idea of if I managed 
Like if I made someone else sort of do some of the things that I had done, like that's not chill. That's not an okay thing to do. And so like having to think about that, like it's sort of, I I think that goes into what you're saying about this idea of like remembering what the goal is, remember why, and creating a more humane business for yourself. Oh my goodness. That's such a good question, Nicole. Bloody hell. You've just like blown my mind with that (laughs) shit. No, I'm a terrible boss. I'm an absolute slave driver. Oh my God. That's... Wow. I mean, goodness me. That that's going up on my on my my guiding <laughs> Next principles. Time I come back, yeah, be, be a, a better, better boss. boss to myself. That is insane. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay, so your second guiding principle up there says all work must be profitable. Yes. So this is a really important point for me because I love making pottery so much. I but the, it has to make money. Like I can't just do it because I love it. Like even though- Or you could, and then it would just be a hobby. Yeah, I could. Yeah, 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 that'd be great. But then I wouldn't be able to go on the amazing holidays that I want to go on. So it kind of like, you know, to be able to do one, I need to do two. Yeah, so when someone approaches me with something like, for instance, they want me to make a commemorative bowl for their daughter's wedding. Amazing. What a privilege. Like that's such a special thing to be able to make. And then I ask them, okay, what's your budget? Oh, 50 quid. I have to say no. I have to be strong and say, I'm sorry, but that would be an amazing thing for me to make, but I'm sorry, I can't make that for you because it actually takes this long for me to do stuff that the time that I'm spending making your daughter's bowl for for the wedding, I could have made this much. And I need to remember that and I need to keep strong. And Thomas is very, very good at reminding me, Cara, when someone asks you to do something, don't say yes immediately. Say, okay, I'm going to get back to you on that. I'll, you know, respond in a day or so. And then he says, come and speak to me before you agree to do stuff because you need to make sure that that's actually going to be worth your while. Because oh my God, can I borrow Thomas? I need the same service. Oh my God, absolutely. Everyone needs Does a Thomas. Does he know this is his future career path? <laughs> Taking people who say yes too easily uh-huh. or who don't think things through? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, God, I mean, that's kind of what he does for a living. He's a business consultant. <laughs> So I didn't know that. That's yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. So that's kind of what I, he's been amazing. He's like my, like we're a partnership. Like he does a lot of my kind of like strat- strategizing behind the scenes. So I will talk to him about everything that I do. He knows everything that goes on in my business. He knows how much I earn, what I charge, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, so that is my core guiding principle number two has to be profitable. Mm-hmm. And you already talked about guiding principle number three, no more than 15 hours contact time yep. per week. Yep. Okay. Anything uh-huh. else you want to say about that? Um, no, that's pretty much self-explanatory really in terms of just looking after my body, making sure that I'm uh, giving myself the longevity that I can do this for a long time. Yeah. And then the fourth one, commissions will be either 100% my control or highly priced. Oh yeah. So this kind of goes back into number two. So you, you sense that I have an, a real issue with this because <laughs> I have two guiding principles, which would basically say the same thing. So yeah, um, previously when I've agreed to make something for someone, they they have said, okay, I want you to make me a dinner set and I want it to reflect um, the colors of the sea in Northern California or whatever. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I know what that looks like but I'm not in their head. So when someone gives me a very specific brief like that, it can go wrong. I mean, luckily I've been really, really lucky that 
all my customers have been so, so supportive and always ended up loving my work. But the amount of energy that I use worrying about whether what I'm making is right for them is just insane. You know, so what really needs to happen with commissions like that is that they say, okay, I want you to make a dinner set, but you make it however you want. That is what I need to agree to only like I can't do anything else like I'll make you a dinner set but it has to be totally my control you have to you have to um completely give over any kind of you know aesthetics you have to just trust me as the artist that I'm just going to make something beautiful and you're going to love it when people start saying oh but can you make the blue just slightly more bluer or can you make the gray slightly less like warm no nope I can't do that no not gonna I'm not gonna do that because when I have said yeah okay I'll try it's just ended up I've had to make things five six seven times because they've gone oh it's not quite right or oh I thought it was gonna be more this no that's not uh, I can't do that so yeah that's number four (laughs) this idea of having guiding principles either for yourself or for your business or both. It seems like such a simple thing and maybe Mm. it is simple, but not easy, but the same way that you said the question about being a good, like whether or not you're a good boss has blown your mind. Seeing these guiding principles up there has blown my mind that it's, it's showing me a hole in my own business, Uh right? This idea of, okay, what are like, what's the foundation of this? What are the mistakes that I, what's like the same mistake that I keep making over and over? Okay. I need to have some kind of like a principle and drawing harder boundaries, right. And figuring out what those are. And I think even if someone doesn't work for themselves, like this, this is a really helpful exercise. I feel like concept of, okay, what are my guiding principles in the world as a friend at my job? And you know, whatever the thing is being able to figure that out in advance, I would reckon makes it easier to then make decisions based on those principles. Like, oh, right. I've already said commissions either have to be 100% my control or really highly priced. Cool, mm-hmm. I don't have to say yes to that. Like you pre-make the decision for yourself, which yeah. I would imagine takes away a lot of the, oh my God, should I or shouldn't I? Yes. Right? That kind of decision-making fatigue and anxiety. Totally, totally. I mean, I totally need to lend you, Thomas, because what how we came across the guiding principles is me and my husband, we went camping in Croyd, which is North Devon, uh, one of our favorite places. And we sat in the pub for two hours we set a time limit on it because we didn't want to do it the whole weekend we just set a time limit we went in the pub we didn't drink alcohol we drank tea the pub loved us (laughs) not um but we he basically asked me all those hard questions that I just couldn't see the wood for the trees to ask myself and he was like okay we are gonna get to a point where you're gonna have these these guiding principles and that is gonna be your benchmark you're gonna have them up on your wall in your studio and you're gonna look at them every single day and it was the best two hours that I think I've spent in the last six like five years because now I just have clarity and to have someone else do that with you is just so Mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't have got to that point by myself. I don't think because I wouldn't have known the questions to ask. And he just went through like everything. Like we, we just did like little mind maps and diagrams and, you know, he was like, okay, so what are your, like, give me the top 10 problems in your business right now. And so we talked through every single one of them and then he was able to identify, okay, well that's because of this and just break things down Mm -hmm. in really, really, really simple terms. And that's, it was just amazing. Yeah. How do you decide on your pricing? Mm, Really good question. So pricing is a real challenge when you make stuff for yourself, because 
especially pottery because charging by the hour doesn't really work because everything takes so long um so it's a very it, it's a mixture for me so um I still haven't got it 100% right I don't think um but I look at the market so I look at what other potters charge I I take that with a pinch of salt because I think a lot of potters under undercharge a lot um, and sometimes I'll see someone selling a handmade mug for 15 pounds and it'll make me want to be sick in my mouth because I'm just like that costs so much more for you to make that than you're getting back. Like you can't possibly be making a profit from that. And also that undervalues everyone else as well, because if you're mm-hmm. you know undercutting everyone else, then it makes you look like you're overcharging. Right. Um, <clears throat> so I do take a little, uh, a, a a glimpse at the marketplace, but only a, a very uh, slight glimpse. But also I just think, what would I pay for that? That is my kind of the core thing. And I um, there's a really great quote, which I always um, say to myself, which is price it like you love it. So price it like you don't really want to sell it. Like, you know, I love my work. I, I'd be quite happy if no one bought it because that means I can keep it. <laughs> Obviously, that's not practical. But if you price your work like that, that gives you real empowerment because it's like, do you know what? I love my mugs. I'm going to charge £29 for them. And that's a bargain. That's a fucking bargain. You, make, you have a handmade one-off piece of artwork in your life that you get to use every day that's not just hung on your wall that you, you, know, you don't actually get to interact with that is a fucking bargain. And yeah, that is something that I am still working on, but that basic core principle of price it like you love it Mm -hmm. has helped me price my work. Yeah. In the show notes, I'm going to include the blog post that you wrote about mug pricing. I think that that gets into a lot of these details and is really Mm -hmm. interesting. And I think sort of pulls the curtain back, especially for folks who have never created a mug, for example. Right. But the idea of price it like you love it, that's, I love that. One of the things that I think about for myself personally with pricing is I like to price things high enough that I feel not slightly uncomfortable, but that I feel like it's going to make me raise to my bed. Like it's going to like encourage me to be my best, but not so high that I feel like it's too daunting of an amount that then it's going to sabotage me somehow, you know, the imposter syndrome type thing. I think there is a balance there. And I think over your career, that number moves up. Right. But what's the amount that I feel like, Ooh, okay, I'm going to do my very best work for this, but it's not so much that I think this is this is wild. I can't, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think something in that yeah. and it's interesting because the answers that you and I both gave are very sort of intuition based mm. and not necessarily the practical advice yeah. of how much do you want to make in a year? How many hours do you want to work in a yeah. way this sort of like systematic stuff that I think also has its place for yes. sure. Yeah. But I have done that approach and it doesn't work for me yeah. for whatever reason, mm. you know? And so I, I, it's interesting to hear about that. The other kind of business specific question that I wanted to ask you um, before we move on is I'm interested what your process is in deciding what to add to your business model, right? Mm. So like, I know you teach one-to-one classes sometimes, right? So deciding to add that and then sort of the flip side, uh, the things that you've considered, but ultimately decided not to do, right? Creating an online course, I know Mm -hmm. was one of those for you. I'm interested in sort of what that process looks like for you to decide, yes, I'm going to add this or that sounds fun, but that's not for me or it's not for right now. Yeah. Um, Really great question. I mean, it's really easy to get distracted. So especially I find on social media, that you see all these people around you making online courses and, you know, talking about passive income, like, oh, you need to get passive income to be able to like do what you do. Um, and so you feel real pressure in, into like, you know, coming up with something for your own business that that fits into that model. 
And at the beginning of the year, um, 2019, I did consider doing an online course, designing an an online pottery course. I also um, wanted to create a podcast um, because I felt like there was, it was a path that I should be exploring and that loads of other people are doing it and it's successful for them. But then I soon realized like after a few months where I hadn't made any steps forward in either of those processes, something inside me was just saying, Cara, what are you doing? You're not like, you're not, that's not what you want to do. You're a potter. You want to be making. So just make like become really, really good at making what you do. Don't get distracted by those things. And that's what they are. They were distractions. They were kind of a, a shiny thing over here that I thought, oh, that that's great. That could, I could earn like this much a month by, you know, designing an online course. But then for me to design an online course, I would basically have to stop making pottery <laughs> and put all of my time and effort into the and into an online course. And that's not what I want to do. My business is pottery, and that's that's what I really need to focus on and make sure that the next idea that comes along, it's not a distraction. It's actually, okay, is this going to really feed back into my, you know, building my pottery business or is it going to make me into something that I'm not? Um, so yeah. Yeah. I think those are such helpful questions and I agree that it is very easy to get distracted, especially when those are both like you were saying before about your nine to five job, those are both potentially great career paths for someone else. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Like someone else having a podcast about this kind of creative stuff or, you know, someone else doing online courses that might be great for someone else, but if it's not for you Mm -hmm. kind of having that self-awareness of, okay, I don't actually have to chase that thing. Yeah. And it's not to say that I will never do those things. Like, you know, maybe one day when I feel like I've really nailed my aesthetic or I've, I've got to a point where my production, I can't go any further with, um, then maybe I will like explore them again. And I'll look back into that and think, actually, no, I feel, I feel like I have the bandwidth to, to be able to devote to that right now. Um, and teaching is something that I do love. Like I love sharing my passion for pottery. I love talking about pottery. I could talk to like anyone to pot- like about pottery until their ears fall off. Literally, I could talk about it for hours and, and, and teaching it is basically a way of me talking about pottery. <laughs> so that like kind of makes sense. Um, but it just, it just has to make sure that it will work for me. And that is not just overshadowing that making, which I, I love. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about isn't necessarily, uh, it's not no forever. It's just no no right now. And I think that that's really important too. Sometimes I get stuck in this again, maybe it's a scarcity thing of, Oh my God, I want to do all these things. I have to do them all right now. When Okay. You can't do everything at the same time. Something has, I think a lot about, I think I read this in, um, that book, Essentialism. I don't know if you ever read that. No, I Greg McCowan, McKeon. I don't know. I I can put it in the show notes, but um, he wrote about how, um, when like the origin of the word priority, that it wasn't a pluralized word. Like the idea of a priority is that there can only be one. You can't have priorities just sort of like looking at, and maybe I'm misquoting it, but my memory of reading it was, it just had something to do with like the root of the word. Like the idea is that there is just one, something has to be more important than everything else. And I think about that a lot when I'm like, well, my priorities are yeah. No. Uh-huh. Right. And sort of what you were just saying of these things of, okay, making the pottery, being a make that's top priority right now. Yeah. And maybe that won't be the case forever, but being clear on what is the thing right now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it is huge. Totally. Yeah. 
Um, one of the topics I know you've mentioned social media and Instagram a couple of times throughout this conversation, something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is jealousy mm. or comparison, not necessarily like romantic. I think when we hear jealousy, we think romantic jealousy, yeah, right. Yeah. But more along the lines of like in our careers or in our friendships and kind of falling into that comparison thing, yeah. I would love for you to talk about, I don't know, any kind of career related jealousy or over comparison that you've struggled with since starting this business. If there's an example that comes to mind. Oh goodness. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the further I get into this, into my career, the worse it gets. So at the beginning, when, you know, you think that it would be more kind of like prevalent, like, because literally I was at the beginning of my career and would look at all these other people and think, I want that. I didn't. I allowed myself to be a beginner at that point and I didn't get jealous I was just like I was inspired I was like wow that's amazing awesome that's something I want to um you know strive towards um I like and I would follow all these people and just think oh my god they're, they're fantastic their work is great I, I want my work to be as good as them but I never felt that jealous I didn't feel like oh my god you know why have they got five thousand followers and I've only got this many I never felt that because I was just like well I just started so makes sense that I don't have interesting that. like the freedom of being a beginner almost yeah. where it seems like so far out of reach yeah. that it's like well anything I'm doing is better than nothing exactly. okay that's interesting yeah and it's only as I've got further along the path that I felt that like little pang of jealousy or envy come in and that's a little bit crazy I think like you know kind of if I look back at like five years ago and I see what I've, I've achieved now I'd just be, I'd blow my own mind. I'd be like, oh my God, like you're doing amazing. Like literally that's so fantastic from starting out with nothing, working in a nine foot by four foot shed. And now I have, you know, this beautiful studio and I'm producing all the work and I, I would like just be so thrilled with myself. And then for me to look at other people now, I do get more envious, which is, I don't know. I, why is that? I, I have no idea. I mean, I think it's, it's such a human thing. I also don't think that it's a logical thing, but I'm interested more specifically. And I don't mean, you don't like throw people under the bus. I don't mean like people, but what are the things that tend to spark the envy for you? Mm, That's a really good, good question. Even just stupid stuff. Like when someone posts something, uh, uh, they've taken a really beautiful shot and I think, oh my God, that shot's so beautiful. I wish I'd taken that shot. I'm like, how ridiculous is that? Like I could just recreate that and it's not going to look anything like what, how they've done it because my work is my work and my environment is my environment. Um, it's ridiculous that I would get so jealous to think about like someone posting a beautiful shot of a mug. Crazy. I no, know. I mean, honestly, I think it may, I think it makes complete sense. I think everyone has their own version of, yeah. you know, look at that pretty mug. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and when people are kind of like saying, oh, I've got some really exciting news. I can't tell you yet, but you know, stay, stay tuned. Keep your eyes peeled. I don't really get jealous by that, but that just bugs me. I'm just like, oh my God. Like I know that I do it, so I can't like <laughs> kind of talk very, <laughs> I can't like slag it off too much, but it does annoy me. I'm just like, oh, just, just tell us, just tell us the big news. Come on. Everyone's going to be happy for you. <laughs> so yeah, I think my jealousy is not, is not anything like it's really shallow and really like, it's not real deep jealousy. It's not like, oh my God, they're earning this much or, oh my God, they're, they've got the new 
uh, kiln that I wanted. I don't, I don't feel that about stuff. I, I feel like, oh, good for them. You know, that's great. But I get it from like the silly little things, which is just like, I don't know where my mind goes. <laughs> it's one of the reasons that I like talking about this is because once we actually have to say it out loud, yeah, it does. Cause things, it makes a lot of sense in our head, yeah. right? That oh my God, why aren't I a better photographer? Like you can go so many levels of yeah. down, like down that spiral, down, 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 down. And when you're actually, when you have to say it out loud to someone else, you're like, this is silly, <laughs> yeah. which doesn't make the feeling of it any less painful or any less, yeah, right. you know, real, yeah. but yeah, that yeah. can, it's just definitely, again, something that I don't think that there's necessarily an answer to, but mm-hmm. I always love when people are willing to be like, yep, I feel that way sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like yeah. very comforting. Uh-huh. <laughs> One of the things that I have heard you say is that you Whoa, um, let me find the quote. I'd like to think my work offers a more mindful eating and drinking experience. Mm-hmm. I love that idea of thinking about how the things that you create are used in someone's life. Like what are you mm. hoping for in terms of the lifespan of the things that you create that someone buys? Yeah. I mean, it's really important for me that someone will buy my work and they will treasure it and they will think of me when they're using it. So, um, if they buy a mug that's their favorite, I want it to be their favorite mug. I want them to open their cupboard, to look at it and to think of the maker. Think of me, think of my hands that have touched that mug that has brought it to life. That's taking it from a lump of mud, taking it through 1,200 degrees centigrade. You know, it's, it's been on such a journey and then it ends up in their home for them to just take a moment to just think about that and to to really like value that and that is the value in in handmade pottery is is I think the story behind it and the fact that someone you know gave their blood sweat and tears for that thing um and also for people to use it in a way that gives them a mindful moment in their day so that, you know, they slow down and to, to stop like their mind racing because they're thinking about me. They're thinking about the pot. They're thinking about their cup of tea that looks so pretty in it. And I think when you eat and drink off like kind of, you know, non handmade stuff, that's fine. There's a place for that. Of course there is. Not everyone can afford handmade work. That's absolutely true. But I think that it really grounds you when you get to eat or drink from something that's beautiful. I think that's such a grounding moment in your day. And I just think it's like, it's amazing. Like just to be able to give yourself that five minutes in the morning to be able to just not think about anything else. Just think about the beautiful mug you're holding. Think like, feel the texture of it. Look at the colors. Look at how, you know, the glaze on the inside interacts with your tea. And just, I just think that that is an amazing thing, a privilege that I can offer to someone. Yeah. I love that so much. And I was telling you this off air too, the travel mug that I bought from you was Aww. the only mug that I took when I moved into the van. Oh my gosh. Moving into 20 square feet, you do exactly yeah. that. Okay. What's, what are the most beautiful things, the most functional things. Right. And I think about you all the time and I hadn't even Aww. met you yet. Right. And so it'll, it's funny though. Now I'll have an even different experience. Yeah, of that mug. Like, right. oh, I remember that time that we were in our studio <laughs> yeah. and that it, it really, there is something lovely about, I know the person who made this for me with their hands. I think yeah. it's one of the reasons why 
cooking for other people or having people cook for you. There's something yes. about like the shared love of Definitely. I made this with my hand. Like I made mm. this cake and now you're going to eat this cake, right? There's just, there, it's yeah. something really lovely. I know. It's, it, I think it is a magic about shared experience, isn't it? And you're sharing the experience of me making that mug by using it. Mm-hmm. And that for me, for you to say that my mug was the only thing you took in your van, literally I nearly cried. That was, that meant so much. Honestly, really, really did. I love it. Now I'm like, <laughs> I want everyone to have one. Um, so we're going to take a complete hard left pivot because wow. there was something else okay. that you mentioned before we started recording that you wanted to talk about that I am also always interested in talking about. And even mm-hmm. though it has nothing to do with pottery <laughs> or any of the other things, I thought this could be a good kind of final topic. Yeah. You mentioned that you wanted to talk about the choice not to have kids, mm. which is also a choice that I have made. And I'm interested, first of all, why that's something that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Okay. So um, previous to us recording today, Nicole asked me to send over three, three or four topics and I didn't pick this one, even though it was, it's at the front of my mind kind of like all the time. I didn't pick this one because I didn't know that that is your decision too. Okay. And then I, um, listened to some of your podcast, uh, this podcast over the last few days and one of the podcasts, you mentioned it and I was like, oh my gosh. I didn't know Nicole felt the same way as me. So that's why then before we start recording, I was like, actually, do you know what? I want to speak to you about this because I think it's a really important conversation that lots of people don't have. And I know personally that I've been looking for um, women to look up to who've made that conscious decision that hasn't been, you know, being not having children hasn't been um you know thrown at them through uh, unfortunate biology or you know not being fertile or you know sad circumstances that it's been a life choice mm-hmm. and I've been looking for women to look to look up to like I there are very few of us around that have made that life choice I feel anyway it's I think it's it's interesting for me to hear you say that because I would say that in my life that's not the case really there's off the top of my head I can name at least three or four like relatively close friends who have also made that same choice so I wonder how much of it is like a where you live or what, you know, it it sounds also like you have a a lot of longer term friendships, right. That, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you all came up together in the same thing. Whereas the people I'm thinking of, okay, well she lives here. I know her through this, right. That it's maybe a little bit more widespread, but it is not as rare of a thing in my life. So that's, it's interesting for me to hear that you've had trouble finding other women that are making that same choice. And actually maybe that's the difference between, cause I personally, I've really struggled with that decision, um, which sounds completely crazy because Obviously, it's my decision. It, I, I mean, it doesn't sound crazy. No, so okay. just, yeah, that's your... Um, I know I still have some shit to work out about this, by the way. So I'm not kind of like fully formed in my, um, you know, thoughts. So it really is something that is still quite raw for me. And, um, but I, I still wanted to have this conversation because I think it was important. Um, but yeah, maybe that's the difference between our... Um, you know, mindset about it, because I know that you are completely okay with it and don't feel any kind of like negativity around it or, you know, lack or, you know, judgment or, you know, and, and this and that, but I have felt all of those things. So I've felt like the judgment that deciding not to have kids makes me less of a woman, or I have felt the judgment that oh, she must hate kids. Like that is one that really hurts me because I don't hate kids. I actually really love kids. I just don't want my own. And the these kind of like 
judgments that I feel like I'm being like, you know, are being imposed on me. Maybe it's all in my head. Like maybe it is. I mean, even if that's the case, the same way that you thought that, you know, you were going to tell your friends and family, you know, that you wanted to be a potter full time and what their actual reaction was, was Mm -hmm. very different than what your assumed reaction was with stuff like this. Even if it's not people in your immediate life telling you those things, I mean, this is the cultural messaging. So I I would reckon that you are not alone, right? You are not Mm. the special snowflake woman that (laughs) has a hard time reconciling this choice, right? I, it's interesting, like ever since I started talking about it more publicly, or at least being open to talking about it. I've had lots of one-on-one conversations, whether like in DMs or in emails from people who are really struggling. One of um, the most upvoted topic suggestions for upcoming podcast episodes was hearing from people that are on the fence about (gasps) having kids or not. Interesting. And that, you know, uh, conversations that probably aren't going to arrive at an answer, but just like being a fence setter and how painful that can be with a biological time window, with the external pressures, maybe it's family pressures, or maybe from some of the women I've talked to, it's that they aren't like, I'm grateful that I'm a hundred percent sure because I yes. think all that's going to potentially happen in the future is if I change my mind, then I change my mind. Yeah. But that I've talked to people who, you know, maybe it's like 51% and 49%, you know, that it's, yeah, so yeah. Will you talk a little bit about that. Like, is this a decision that you've always known was right for you or is this more of a recent development? So, yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. I've always felt like kids has not been in my future, like always. Even I remember being a child myself and thinking, I don't ever want a baby. I don't, I don't feel that maternal, whatever it is that you're supposed to feel. I don't, I've never had that. And I've never felt lacking because of that. Um, so I've always felt like children aren't, aren't in my life plan. That's, and I've, I've felt comfortable with that decision up until maybe I was, um, 28 and then literally all of my friends had babies, all of them. So even friends that I've talked to and said, um, you know, Oh, I don't want kids. And they've said, Oh, I don't want kids either. They've all gone on to have children. Interesting. And then that makes me doubt my own decision because those people have then gone on to have kids and I'm, and also on like a really, um, such a selfish level. I, th- I feel betrayed almost like you took, but you told me that you didn't want kids and now you've got three. Like I, I like something in my brain, like g- goes into betrayal. Which I mean, that's is just, that's, no, that's an incredibly honest thing to say, right? The, the idea of, I thought we were in this together mm, or whatever that thing uh-huh. is, it's to be, and this is a very potentially strange analogy that I don't think is coming from the same place, but I, have, I had friends who, when I quit drinking, I think felt that way. We all decided this was an activity that we were going to do together. And now you're making a different choice, Mm -hmm. right? And that's sure getting sober and not having kids are completely different choices, (laughs) right? But I do think there is something there of, we had kind of solidarity and community around this thing. And now you're going to do something different. Yes, And that can be really hard. It can be hard to feel like, I don't know if left behind is the right word, but, or, abandoned or how do I yep. fit in with this? Mm-hmm. And yeah. now we no longer have this thing in common. And yeah. yeah, that's so honest. Yeah. I mean, gosh, probably a little too honest. <laughs> no, I think very comforting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so much around it that, you know, I, I think I probably do need to talk about it more to be able to like, I feel not alone. Cause that's, that's how I have felt about this is that I felt very alone because I'm the only one that I know who hasn't who hasn't got kids um, or who doesn't want kids. So, 
you know, there is a difference. I do still have friends who don't have kids, but they want them. Like that's in their life plan. But I don't know anyone who doesn't Well, want now them. you do. Now I do. We can talk about it anytime Nicole, you want. Yeah. I think for me, and I'd be interested to hear what your answer is in this, the only thing, not that I'm afraid that I'm going to regret, but I think with any choice, you're giving something up, right? Even yep. if it's the right choice mm-hmm. for you. And yep. I think the only thing that I think about sometimes is that I think that I will miss out on having a, like adult kids when I'm old. Mm. Like there is, you know, if I'm lucky yep. enough to have a long life and all yep. of that, like I mm-hmm. think about, there's like a loneliness in that sometimes okay. that pings for me, especially, you know, now that I'm not, I mean, maybe I'll get married again. Maybe I won't, but I'm not on the kind of, I don't want the relationship escalator life track of, okay, then I'm going to meet someone and we're going to be in this monogamous relationship and it's going to go like this. And then we're going to buy the house and we're going to get married. Like that's no longer what I want or Mm -hmm. what I'm striving toward. Right. Kind of that sense of normalcy in that regard. Right. And so then what is the question of like, what does community look like? What is, what are our care structures look like? Like so much of just healthcare or elder care, like so much of it assumes partnership yes. and kids. Yeah. Right. Definitely. And so I have some questions of, you know, will I feel really lonely? Yeah. When I, and there, of course there's no answer to that, but I wonder if there's an element of your decision that you feel like, what's the thing, if there is one that you think potentially that you would be missing out on? Um, I don't know. I, I think the thing that I miss out on is that, um, I can't, I, I feel like I can no longer identify with all my girlfriends like I once could. Mm-hmm, That's the only mm-hmm. thing that I feel like I potentially am missing out on. The loneliness thing, I don't feel that because we don't get, we don't have kids right now and I'm not lonely. Like, and I don't really feel like that would change. Yeah, you that's know. an interesting point. Yeah, because I'm not lonely either. No. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, Thomas and I are lucky. We've got um, nieces and nephews. We have, um, you know, very, very close friends and they all have kids and we are very close to them. And, our friends are our family and I feel like I don't feel like I'm gonna get to a point where I'm gonna be sat in an old age pension home or whatever and feel like oh I wish I had kids because then they could come visit me because the reality is is that they might they might not yeah they might (laughs) they might live in the on the other side of the world from you so to have kids for that reason I'm you know I struggle with that, I don't, that's not part of the reason, the, the regret or the, you know, maybe I should for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. That's so, that's interesting. Do you feel like your friendships have changed with friends that have had children? Um, some have, some haven't. So some, I feel like there's a period where, you know, people have babies and then your friendship obviously has to take a back seat because they have priorities. They, Absolutely. <laughs> they've yeah. got to make this little being like survive. That's like a massive priority. So yeah, friendships do kind of like take a back seat when people have babies and that's absolutely understandable. Um, I feel like there's some friends who, yes, we've um, maybe lost a connection, which is painful. And I've, I hope that that connection comes back. Because, um, you know, I, I love, I love those friends. And then there's friends that who've had babies and then they go through the hard, like first like 18 months and they come out the other side and literally our relationship is exactly the same. Like you, we have to make allowances, you know, we can't just swan off and have a spa weekend and like, they have to think about who's going to look after the kids. But, um, 
when we are together and when we're chatting, nothing's changed. Mm-hmm. And we talk about the same stuff and they talk about their kids, obviously, but in a way that I feel included and I feel like part of that. As opposed to feeling, you know, and I've heard this from other women too, that are in a similar position as us who have received messaging of almost like talked down to or sort of condescended Mm -hmm. to of your choices aren't as important as my choices because I've had kids. And I feel very lucky that that has not been the case for me, but I can imagine that would be very painful Mm. to feel like your what's important to you is no longer viewed as valuable by people in your life because you haven't made the choice that they think is the most valuable choice. And I think this could come up with kids or work or any of those different things. Just there's like an interesting conversation I think to be had here about maintaining relationships as you make different choices or as you do have a different priority. And I think sometimes relationships they aren't meant to be forever. Mm-hmm. Sometimes someone's a really great fit for you for a period of time and then yeah. not. And that, I think that's also totally fine. Right. Yeah. But this idea of if it is a relationship that you want to carry forward through those life changes, I think that there needs to be more communication yes. around what it, what does it look like now that, you know, this is your priority. Yeah. What does it look like that I'm not making that choice? Yeah. At, you know, and yeah. I, I just think all of it is more nuanced than Absolutely. we think that it is. And I think communication, you you've pinpointed a really important point there because I think that when you're in those really intense life changing like periods, your friends, you know, they're not mind readers. They don't know what they need from you, like what you need from them. Like, and and I think that that is where potentially some relationships have um, suffered is because we haven't communicated. We haven't said, do you know what? I really need you to, to come to this or, um, they need me to be there when the baby does this or whatever. Um, and we're not mind readers, you know, we don't know what, what the other person needs from, from the relationship at that point. And I think that to communicate is like so important is to say, Hey, you know, um, I'm feeling really tired. I just, can we like, take a rain check on dinner. Can we just like stay in with a movie instead? Like that conversation, like, you know, should happen. You shouldn't just go out for Mm -hmm. dinner and then resent the person to make, for making you go out to dinner when you're that tired because you've only slept two hours because your baby's crying. Like, you know, I think you have to be really honest with your friends. Have you told most of the people in your life that you're not planning on having kids? Yes. Yes, we have. And and so just to say that my husband and I were on the same page and we've always been on the same page. We've been together. Um, so we've been a couple for 19 years and we've been married for eight years. Okay. And we've always been on the same page and we've always said to each other, um, okay, if you ever change your mind, you have to be honest, you have to tell me because we need to talk about it, <laughs> obviously. Um, and we always check in every now and again, like, do you still feel the same? And we're like, yep, still feel the same. So really lucky in that respect that our, um, you know, that decision was always the same for both of us. And that's also made it easier when talking to other people, because Mm -hmm. we're both, we can talk about it at the same time when we're having dinner together, we can say, Oh no, we both of us don't want kids like that's, and I feel like most of my friends and my family have always known that they've always known it. And when I've been kind of on the fence you know, when someone asked me, um, like, oh, do you ever want kids? And I've given the answer, oh, not sure. That's because I felt insecure in giving my truthful answer mm-hmm. because they, they've made me feel something, you know, like, oh, if I give the truthful answer, then they're going to look at me in a different way. And I don't want that. Yeah. Or I, I, you know, I want to protect myself from that. I also, something I've been thinking about 
like specifically with this topic is because it can be so polarizing because it can be so emotionally laden because it's not an easy decision for everyone. Because like you said, there's plenty of folks who would love to have kids and are struggling with that, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many different sort of threads of Mm. this, right? I think sometimes that we feel the need to give some kind of like really profound or justified answer. Like I've been thinking about the, in kind of all areas of my life, the answer of, because I don't want to is actually fine. Mm. And sometimes, you know, when even well-meaning people have, you know, why don't you want to have kids? And sometimes it's an innocent question and sometimes it's not. Mm -hmm. Right. And I used to feel a pressure to come up with a good answer or to make sure that I'm being understood. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like, they're either going to understand or they're not, they're going to make their own choices yeah. or projections on me. Like, because yeah. I, the answer is because I I'd rather not. Yeah, totally. And yes, I could give you more specifics for why that's true. But I don't want to. <laughs> but it's, it's like this thing that I think, you know, sometimes women require of each other, this like mental gymnastics yeah. to justify the choice when the answer is because that's my preference. Yeah. So I've been trying, and it's, this is, it's very uncomfortable for me to just like, let that be the case. The same thing comes up with sobriety too. You know, yeah. if you don't drink, people want you to have this really dramatic story. Yep. Right. Yep. And you, some people do, some people don't, but the answer is why don't you drink? Because I don't want to. And of course I could give a much deeper answer. And I have <laughs> yeah. in many episodes of the podcast <laughs> talked about this and stuff, but like, yeah, cause I'd rather not. Yeah. It's like, and that maybe that, even as I'm saying it, that sounds like maybe too simplistic, but I think there's something really empowering about because I don't want to. Definitely. And I think that as I've got older, I think that's keeping it simple has become easier. And I think people, um, my response has been more kind of, uh, less defensive because I think I probably have been defensive about it. Um, like, you know, oh, so you guys having kids? No, because this is this, 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 and this. And, you know, I'll spout out like loads of reasons and they didn't even ask me for the reasons. And they are just like, okay then. <laughs> and that is, I feel like I had, like you say, I have to have this like convoluted, like really well thought out argument of like why I don't want kids. Um, but as I've got older, I've shortened it to, nope, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And that, that normally just stops the conversation or someone you know if they do then say oh so how come then you know I will then go into it maybe but maybe I won't maybe I like because often I find I actually find the conversation quite exhausting because I think that I'm not I, I'm not quite okay with it yet mm-hmm. and that's my own shit I yeah. realize that um so the shorter the answer I can give and move on is like you know, healthier for me right now. I also think in general, it's like not a chill question to ask someone. No. I mean, maybe uh, obviously depending upon the depth of relationship, right? If you and a close friend are talking about this subject or you've made it clear it's something that you want to talk about, but the sort of flippancy with Mm -hmm. which anyone feels that they're entitled, especially once you get married or if you're in that kind of partnership, like when are you guys going to have kids? It's first, it's incredibly invasive and doesn't take into account exactly what you said that maybe they do want that and it's not happening or maybe it's taking longer or maybe Mm -hmm. it's something that them and their partner aren't on the same page about or any number of things. Like why do we think that that's an okay question to to ask anyone even that like it's actually none of your business Uh really you know and so obviously I think the level of intimacy that you have with the person asking the question of course you know and that's true for anything some things I'm willing to talk about with my really close people and not with anyone else and that's fine but I would also like to just have some cultural pushback against why do we feel entitled to ask other people about that very personal choice because it is like the standard done thing that you have kids like 
I don't know, maybe we shouldn't ask each other that question anymore. Yeah, and totally. And I think that kind of rolls over into, um, you know, parenting. Like there's so much judgment around it. Like everyone has got a freaking opinion on how someone else should bring up the kids. And I, I, this is a, it's a cultural thing, I'm sure, is that, you know, we feel responsible to bring up the next generation in a, in a responsible way. So everyone needs to input in that. And it's just like, do you know what? You really don't. <laughs> like mind your own beeswax. Um and we'll all probably get on a lot better. Mm-hmm. So the last thing on this subject, when you said that it's still something that you're kind of not necessarily coming to terms with, because it sounds like you're pretty set on your decision. Yeah. What do you think that like final piece of it is? Like it, when you say like, I should probably, or I need to do some more work around that, or that's my thing, or like sort of what's the missing piece here for you? Do you think about feeling really okay with it? Um, I feel like I need to talk to more people about it. I think that I've kept it to myself for you know a long time and I haven't talked publicly about it um I don't really talk a lot about um personal stuff on social media I keep my business on there and then that's it I keep a lot of stuff private um but within my personal life I don't even talk about it to my friends or to family and I feel like that's maybe the next level that I need to I need to talk about how I how it's made me feel and for, I think for a re- for some reason I've, I felt like my feelings are, aren't as important as the people who've, who've had babies because fucking hell that's hard and they've had a, you know, a lot to deal with. Um, and I, I felt like I can't then put on my issues to them as well. So I haven't talked to my friends about it at all. I haven't like told them how I felt or, you know, how hard I've found it. Um, so maybe that's the next thing that I need to do. And, you know, this is going to be interesting and this airs. Yeah. <laughs> well, just have everyone listen to this and then you don't have to talk to everyone individually. This is a primer. Listen for minutes. Where I'll give you the timestamp, right, for this episode and then be like, everyone come around to my house so we can talk. About oh, my God. Fuck well, no. I think. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great place to, to start to wrap up. I also think um, when our lives change, I mean, and I'm in like the biggest year of transition that I've ever had. Right. Mm. And in lots of different fronts that there are people that have been in my life for a year or five years or 10 years that are making that transition with me. And that's lovely. And also I'm seeing some like gaps where I would like to build new friendships with people who, with whom I have those things in common. Yeah. Right. Whether it's other people who live kind of a more transient, like on the road lifestyle, right. Or some other things. And so I think just in hearing you talk about this, right. That if maybe it is like helpful to have like another friend or someone who's making the same choice. Like I think sometimes that we undervalue how helpful it is to like to have that reminder that we're not alone not just from other people saying it's okay for you to make this choice, but to actually be surrounded in some capacity with people who have the same, not values necessarily. I don't know if this is a values thing, but I've been thinking about that personally. There's a couple areas of my life where I'm open to new friendships with people who share those things, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to be DMing you, Nicole. You're going to be like, no, oh my gosh, Cara, like, leave me alone. Uh, I'm not going to be like that. When you said DM, I was like, do you mean WhatsApp? Are we going to be WhatsApp friends? Oh, well, cause that works better. Yeah. Um, okay. So the way that I love to end these episodes are with some rapid fire questions. Okay. So if you're down to answer seven, totally random questions, definitely. All right. 
what are you completely obsessed with right now? Oh, I'm obsessed with walking the Southwest Coastal Path. I know we didn't even get to talk about <laughs> I this. I know, no, we didn't. Um, so me and my husband, are um, we challenged ourselves to walk the 630 miles, which is the Southwest Coastal Path of England. Um, and that's from Minehead in the top of Somerset all the way around Somerset, Devon, Cornwall, and back up the other end um, to Dorset, um, to Poole. And we are doing it bit by bit. And we're going, we're doing a walk every weekend and we're picking off, um, walks here and there. And we've, we've kind of joined the official club. Like there's a, there's a club that you join, <laughs> you pay a membership and they send you a book and that has all the, the walks like, um, you know, kind of split down scheduled out. And they tell you like the, the, whether it's an easy walk, a moderate walk, a strenuous walk or a severe walk. Like oh a severe walk. I know we haven't <laughs> done any severes yet. We, we're, we're working our way up to that. I mean, nothing compared to what you walk, but you know, it's, it's like, it's something that we've just stumbled upon and we absolutely love it. Like all week we're planning our next walk. We're like, okay, so where are we going to go this weekend? Um, we like started to kind of build up a little bit of kit around it. So like our shoes and our bags and like our like water bottles and stuff. And yeah, I'm obsessed with it and I love it. And I share, um, kind of our adventures on the Southwest Coastal Path in my Instagram. And they're beautiful. Yes. I love that. Well, I mean, this could be its own like segment of, yeah. <laughs> so I'll try not to take this in too many different directions, but the couple things I want to say in response, first of all, I love the excitement that you have about this being a shared thing with yeah. your partner, especially after you were talking about, okay, you're working a lot, how that does that impact your relationship? So having a thing that's yeah. your like a joint goal, I think that can be similar to when you were talking about, you know, feeling maybe isolated with friends who have had kids. Like, I think it is helpful to come up with some kind of a shared thing, right? Like a thing in common with people. And I also really like the idea. I think it's easy to be all or nothing with things to say, either I need to have enough time off to walk all 630 miles at once, or I'm not going to do it. The idea that, you know, we have to do the most extreme version of the thing. Otherwise it doesn't count. And I think that's bullshit, right? That it could be the, the idea of doing, you know, one walk every weekend, one weekend a month, yeah. what, you know, whatever people's schedules allow, like letting some freedom around, it can happen in a different way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And we've allowed ourselves that. And it's not practical for us to walk it all, all the same time because I need to make pots. <laughs> My husband has a job. So to do it, to do it this way has, has worked out really well. And, you know, England is small enough that we can drive like the furthest, um, away point away is probably about six hours. Um, and we're, going to go for a week camping down there and we're going to tackle that kind of like bit just to kind of do all the far away ones all at the same time because we're also really conscious that we don't want to be kind of like driving everywhere so we're going to be trying to take public transport and take trains and buses um just so that we're not kind of you know carbonizing our hobby yeah completely (laughs) thing I don't know well it makes sense to me yeah um what's one of the most impactful lessons that you've learned so far this year Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, listen to your instincts. I think, I think that was a big one for me. Um, if something, if a little voice inside you is saying, Hey, that's probably not a good idea, then you should listen to it mm-hmm. because mine's never been wrong. Um, I don't know whether that's a woman thing. Um, you know, we've had to keep ourselves safe over the centuries. Um, and instincts I think are really powerful. And even if it's, you know, to do with business, I'm talking about specifically here, but in life in general, like if there's a little voice in your head, which says, Hey, maybe think twice about that, then you should listen to it. Yeah. What's one thing, and it can be a personal thing or a thing that's work-related. What's something you're actively trying to get better at right now? 
like a skill you're building or something you're working to improve? Mm, so, well, um, in my pottery, I am l- making my own glazes at the moment, which is hard. It's basically like molecular chemistry and um, pottery is a big learning curve as it is. And then when you layer on the, um, the additional thing of making your own glazes from raw materials like titanium dioxide, you know, flint, quartz, things that get dug up from the earth and then you mix together and, and you have to work out whether that's going to be the right color, whether it's going to be the right temperature, whether it's going to actually stay on the pot. Um, that's what I'm working on right now. And it's hard. <laughs> How do you typically spend the first hour of your day? I know you mentioned not being a morning person. So what does your first hour usually look like? Uh, coffee. So probably have about four cups of coffee. Um, I'll say hi to the cats. Um, that's really important for me to make sure that the cats, uh, we have two cats and make sure that I've seen them in the morning. Um, and probably Instagram. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to who? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's my honest answer. Then like morning on Instagram. <laughs> when you think back on the past few months, what's one thing that you feel particularly proud of? Um, mm, that's that's an interesting question. I'd say um I feel proud of pushing myself forward in in my business. So, it's really easy to kind of like get into a little comfort zone. Um, but I've taken steps to push myself out of that comfort zone and move myself forward in my business to where I know I can, I can be. So the next question is about books, which two or three books, any kind of book, any genre of book, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you find yourself recommending or rereading most often? Okay. So recently I've read The Salt Path by Raina Wynn, which is all about walking the Southwest Coastal Path. And it's based on a true story, her and her husband, um, I won't ruin it for you, but uh, lost their house and he got diagnosed with a terminal disease. And then they decided to walk the Southwest Coastal Path. And it's absolutely amazing. It's such a great book. It's just really inspiring. And that was one of the reasons why um, we decided to walk the whole thing was that book, was reading that book. Um, another book which I love and always kind of go back to is Jen Sincero, You're a Badass at Making Money. I love her work. I think she's amazing. Um, more creative businesses should read her book. And in the UK, the title is a little bit like you're a badass at making money. It's uh, people kind of like look at that title. I I feel and like look down on it and think that it's going to be crass or it's going to be you know something that it's not. Um, but I say read it. Just like get past the title, read it because it's a great book. And anything by Liz Gilbert. Mm-hmm. I love Liz Gilbert. Yeah, I love her too. Um, the you're badass at making money. I felt like that was one of the ones for me that there was stuff in there that was really helpful. I felt Uh really impactful, but I had to sort of read it with like such a huge grain of salt. Like there isn't any acknowledgement of privilege or anything at all. in that. Like there was just so much in there of, I I can't even speak to it because I still got something out of it. And anytime people ask me if I recommend that book, because that book's come up a couple of times. And I think I picked it in the book club for Patreon last year that I'm like, 
you read this, but also come into it knowing that there yeah. is like no awareness at all of like yeah. different intersecting privileges that yes. like, it's not, so it's like, it's super helpful if you also keep in mind where it's coming from. That's very, very true. Yes. And I should say that I've read that book in relation to many, many other kind of like business books. Um, and that's just one of them, which like, you know, kind of has stuck with me that I've gone yeah. back to just because of the way I feel like it's given me like an empowerment feeling. I felt the same way. Yeah. So the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take. What would you love for folks to do? Oh, I'd love them to go and have a look at their mugs (laughs) in their cupboard and see if they bring them joy. And if they don't, then yeah, maybe look at that. I love that, especially for something that, I mean, almost every single person I know either has tea or coffee in the morning or has some mm. kind of hot beverage multiple times throughout the day. And so the yeah. idea of, do you love your mug? Do you have, and you, you only need one that you love, You right? only need one. I love yep. that. Um, what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? What's your favorite way to connect? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram a lot. Um, and I generally try and respond to everyone. So my handle is Cara Lee Ceramics. Um, so that's K-A-R-A. L-E-I-G-H ceramics. Um, or you can come to my website, which is Cara Lee Ford Ceramics, because that's my full name, uh, .com. Um, and I have a blog there that you can comment and kind of like really dig into and find out more about this crazy world that I live in, which is pottery. I love it. And I'll put links to all of that in the show notes. And especially it's funny, especially being someone who you are the only potter that I follow, right? It's not like a hobby or an interest of mine, but watching your time-lapse videos of you making stuff, it's like very soothing. So if someone's looking for, I mean, you mentioned kind of like escapist Instagram, you know, with also this dose of honesty and like reality also highly recommend you are one of my favorite Instagram follows thank you thank you so much this was lovely thank you so much Nicole and that's our show for today thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family speaking of the Real Talk Radio family I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day my producer and sound engineer Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. So go say hi. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Shauna. Hi, Shauna. Hi. So we're going to do a fun little round of rapid-fire questions if you're ready. Sure. Tell me the most pleasurable thing you've done in the past month. Reading more and knitting more. So doing more activities that are just fun without any kind of expectation or goal out of it. My God, I love that so much. I've been thinking about that topic a lot of like doing things just to do them. The idea that like, obviously it's awesome if you have goals for a certain thing, or if you do want something to grow or escalate in a certain way, but not everything has to, like you can just do something to do it. Yes. And I've been doing that a lot more and I'm finding a lot more joy in finding those moments and just having, or making more time to do those things that don't have a specific end or goal. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. So next question on the flip side of that, what's one goal that you are working toward right now? What feels important to you? Being more intentional about how I spend my money. There are things I've realized that I want to do more of and with, you know, 
money can be finite and deciding what is not as important to me has been really eye-opening to actually pay attention to where I'm spending my money and then sort of where I actually want it to go to, like travel or doing other things with activities with my friends or, you know, traveling with them. Yeah. What's one of the things that you've realized isn't that important that you're not spending money on anymore? Uh, Going out to eat by myself all the time. I found that I was just defaulting to that where I still enjoy taking myself out to eat, but going out to eat for lunch four times a week or whatever it is, it just wasn't, I was just doing it because it was easier than putting a little bit of effort for me into planning and cooking something for the week Mm -hmm. uh, ahead of time. So I started doing that and then that freed up some time and you know, space and money to put towards other things. It's funny. I feel like all of your answers are leading directly into the next question. So the next question <laughs> is what's, and maybe something that you haven't already mentioned, one impactful money-related decision that you've made recently? That I am going to only do things that I can either save up for ahead of time or pay off as I buy it, like plane tickets or things like that, that I not going to put myself in the hole just because there's something I want to do. Mm, yeah, that's really well said. What's a challenge, a struggle, or a frustration that you feel like you're facing right now? Hmm. Being okay with taking more time to rest. Uh, I've been reading The Fuck It Diet by, I think, Caroline Dooner. And it's really just about sort of chilling out with food and life in general and a big part of it I'm up to the part in the book where it talks about you need to rest like your body needs rest and our culture is so ingrained with go 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 do 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 that it really puts your body sort of behind and your mental state behind and you really have to recover from that by resting (laughs) so that that's something I've been struggling with feeling is okay to do. Yeah. I feel like so much of what you're speaking to, I can relate to. I've been struggling with the same thing. I also feel like I've been struggling with the fact that I need more rest than I like thought that I did, or maybe that's just like where I'm at right now in my life. But I've been noticing myself feeling frustrated of like, really, you need like more rest than this. And I'm trying to like use it as a chance to, you know, practice being kind to myself, but it definitely has been frustrating. It's hard work. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Ugh, right? Life being a human. Last yeah. question. What's one topic that you'd love to hear more honest conversations about? What's something you wish people were talking about? Something I've been trying to pay more attention to is uh, paying more time and attention to my friends, to those relationships and the network outside of romantic relationships and really sort of what that looks like putting more effort into that. I really hadn't been doing that for a long time and trying to pay attention to more of these areas in my life. That was something that, that has really come up a lot and that I want to hear more about how other people do that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Definitely. I think that'll be an ongoing like topic on the podcast for sure. 
So you are a member of our Patreon support squad, our Patreon community, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a small and powerful reoccurring per episode pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season. And I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show. Well, I started supporting the show, I think, when you first went to the Patreon model. I found you through the podcast that that you did with Julia on her podcast when she had it and just kind of followed you over to to your spot and got so much out of it that I was like, well, of course I'm going to help contribute if this will help it continue. I love that. Also, I love how many amazing people have come to me through Julia. Not a surprise. Julia is the best. <laughs> I still, I love your monthly podcast that I really love that as part of the Patreon goodies. Yeah. Recording with her every month is one of my favorite things to do. So I always like hearing when other people really enjoy it too, because it's been like a really nice thing for our friendship to be like, no matter how busy we are, like we're at least going to have this really in-depth talk every month because <laughs> we've committed to do it so other people can listen to it. So I'm glad that you feel that way. Which is kind of a fun way to help you know, date your friend or be with you, you know. Exactly. Totally. Um, so do you want to share where you live and maybe like a social media link or something if you want to, if people want to say hi? Yeah, I am in Denver and I love the mountains. I've been here for about a year and my Instagram handle is misdirected311. So it's actually a 311 song is <laughs> misdirected. And I thought it applied way back when I was in college and I still enjoy it. So it's one of those handles that I've had for years. Oh my God. That brings me so much joy. (laughs) I love it. Um, And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want bonus content, plus other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $1 or more per episode. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.